This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, The Hartford, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and I want to thank you for joining us again today. Well, we're broadcasting uh, today from the Ringler Associates 2012 annual meeting in beautiful Newport Beach, California. And I want all of our listeners to know and remember that Ringler Radio brings you the hottest topics, the most knowledgeable guests from the structured settlement industry. And you can find every Ringler Radio show on our website, ringlerassociates.com, and on the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. Well, our discussion today is going to center on a very effective combination of financial tools for severely injured plaintiffs and their families. When a structured settlement is blended with a special needs trust, the injured party's quality of life can be substantially enhanced. So joining me now for much, much more on this is my Ringler colleague and friend from New York City, Carmela Limangeli. Mela has 20 years of experience with structured settlements. She's attended more than a thousand mediations. Wow, Mella, that's a lot. I have no life. And uses her creativity to formulate settlements using structures as a foundation. Plus, she's a great mother and has two beautiful dogs. I do know that. Yes. Welcome, Mella. Thank you, Larry. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. I, uh, the, the feeling's mutual. Well, also joining us is our special guest, Attorney Jay Sangerman from New York City. Jay has a decades-long national reputation in the use of supplemental or special needs trusts. Jay's also known for successfully arguing landmark cases in elder law and estate planning, and he's been responsible for several changes in the law. A warm welcome from Ringo Radio to you, Jay. Welcome Thank again. you very much. And I would say welcome back, because uh, you're a returning guest to our great show. Uh, after many times, and yes. um, it's a pleasure to be with Mella, who I've worked with probably for most of that 20 years. Yes, you have. That's, that's great. Well, listen, Jay, for our listeners who may not be totally familiar with the concept, why don't you Tell us, what is a special needs trust? Special needs trust is created by federal law in 1993, over 93, for the purpose of providing for an injured person to have funds available for that injured person while not being counted for either Medicaid or supplemental security income purposes. I kind of describe a supplemental needs trust as a shoebox. Mm-hmm. And whatever is in that box, does, if properly managed, does not count vis-a-vis for eligibility purposes. So therefore, the cash in the box doesn't count. The periodic payments from the structured settlement annuity, if paid irrevocably into that box, into that trust, will not count as income or assets for the purpose of eligibility, either Medicaid or SSI. And you said it yourself. It's a way of enhancing mm-hmm. a person's lifetime with the settlement proceeds. Right. So when should a special needs trust be considered? When should it come into play? When do you start your work? That's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> You're always working. Um, there are times before the case is settled that I will be called by the plaintiff lawyer saying, 
I have to know where my case is going, what I can settle for. I have a client who will not settle for less than a certain amount. Is there a way I can show that through the structure settlement annuity and through supplemental or special needs trust that there will be more than sufficient assets available? Remembering that if you do a supplemental needs trust and you have Medicaid eligibility, Medicaid is going to pay for all those medical needs of that child or adult, as the case may be, of anybody under the age of 65 when it was created, but during their entire lifetime. So the just like a structured settlement is a settlement tool in litigation, so is the special or supplemental needs trust. There are times I'll go to mediation. After a case is settled, um, it'll be a discussion of how to enhance those settlement proceeds, again, through the various tools we're talking about. And most important is how it all fits together. And lastly, as in the case Mel and I are working on right today, I don't know if you saw the email, of seeing that the documents are properly drafted so that the settlement, the cash, the annuity, supplement and needs trust or non-supplement and needs trust all fits together. Well, you know, what's interesting is uh, when we get a case and the claimant is someone who's got uh, very little in the way of income uh, and they're on Medicaid now and they're going to receive this settlement proceeds, they're going to get disqualified from Medicaid unless there is a special needs trust created as you've talked about. So when we see these cases that have these elements we need to bring someone like you into these cases to, to properly draft the, pro, the you know the trust documents and to properly make sure that all of the uh, elements are there. And Mella's comment about when do you get involved in these cases, we like to get you involved fairly early so those documents can get, get squared away. What is your role when it comes time to trying to figure out where the money's going to eventually lie in a bank trust or some other trust? Do you help the uh, plaintiff attorney and those folks to try to get that done? The first question is, should there be a supplement in these trusts? Right. Uh, not every case is a supplement in these trust case. If the settlement proceeds are sufficient, if the needs of the individual, uh, medical needs can be met through private health insurance, um, there may not be a need for a supplemental needs trust. If the periodic payments that come in will cover the medical premium in private health insurance, if mom or dad, if it's a child case, are working and have private health insurance, there may not be a need for the continuity or the creation of a, a Medicaid eligibility or having to answer to a city or a state or governmental agency. Or lose control of the ability to manage and, and deal with those funds on their own. Well, that depends on if it's a child or an adult. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, many adults who are mentally competent but disabled, physically disabled, they want to have that control. But the other thing I always explain to them is under the federal law, a supplemental needs trust can be created any time prior to age 65. Created and funded at any time prior to 65. So somebody decides, I don't want a supplemental needs trust today or a parent for their child. I don't think I need it. The case can settle. The structure put in place for the settlement, 10 years later, 20 years later, 
they can always do a supplement in these drugs. So that decision is not an irrevocable decision. Uh, that's number one. But number two, I make sure at every client meeting, I explain the options. I want them to know what a supplemental needs trust is. I want them to know the benefits of it. I want them to know what Medicaid will get back from that trust at the termination of the trust or the death of the beneficiary. I want them to know their options and then to choose. So how is the investment strategy formulated? How do you, where do you come into play there? I believe in teamwork. I know that from our last <laughs> meeting together. It was a great team. Um, and the attorneys I work with know that too. Okay. In every case, an attorney, plaintiff lawyer, and sometimes it's the defense lawyers that call me and say, Jay, I cannot settle the case. I want to bring you in. And it may be that um, the insurance carrier actually pays my fees or the fees of somebody like me to come in to explain to the plaintiff lawyer how a plan can be put into place at less dollars at an area that the case can settle at, which makes the plaintiff lawyer happy too because they know they can settle the case. I believe in teamwork. My brother was a salesman, and he taught me you never sell. You teach. And that's what teamwork it really is. I teach on what the options are for the funds. The structure broker, I always say there should be a structure broker present. Whether or not there ultimately will be a structure, but the family has to know, or the client, him or herself, have to know and lay out and teach what it is and don't sell it. Um, and then put together a plan. What are the medical needs? What is the psychology? What's the emotion to the family? Some people really don't need future Medicaid, but they've been involved in it for so long there's a comfort factor. Others have said, I want out. I want to be released from Medicaid. So I think there has to be, we're not psychiatrists or psychologists, but as good planners, the first thing is to understand who the family is, what the medical condition of the plaintiff is, to read the medical reports, to read the life care plan. And then the discussion, I think, will develop the plan. Interesting. Well, what features should the trust have to, to qualify and, uh, and really be the appropriate one? There are certain features I know that must go into them. Okay. What, give us an idea of those. If you're doing a supplemental needs trust, yes. if the decision is to retain Medicaid and or supplemental security income benefits, one, it has to be under age 65. The documents have to be done right, as I said already, under a, uh, irrevocably assigned as the annuity. It has to have Medicaid's remainder interest in the trust, meaning upon the death of the beneficiary, Medicaid is entitled to recover for all Medicaid paid, that's what the statute says, up to the amount that's in the trust. All Medicaid paid, though, is a question of what that means. If you're in New York, New Jersey, other states, um, all Medicaid paid means lifetime Medicaid. So if you settle the Medicaid lien for less than full lien, that remaining Medicaid lien that you didn't pay might come back in upon the death of the beneficiary. The family has to know that. Medicaid and a Medicaid lien can only obtain or collect 
causally related Medicaid, that which you're being paid for. Right. There's subrogation or indemnification for what's been paid. But there may be a huge amount of non-causally related Medicaid. The person may have been disabled for years, got Medicaid, had a medical malpractice incident, paid back the lien in full, created the trust. Depending on what state you're in, upon the death, all that historic Medicaid may come back to play. So you have to do that analysis. How much can come back? Is it worth it to come back? But the trust must maintain a provision that Medicaid gets reimbursed. If you're in court, and it's a court-ordered trust, you have to know what the court's going to require. The trust has to be created by a parent, a guardian, a court, a grandparent. But it has to be funded with somebody with the authority to fund it. A parent does not have the authority to fund it for a child. It has to be a court order. Um, a guardian may or may not have the authority to fund it for a disabled person, depending on what the court authorized that guardian to do. The Social Security Administration, when they review these trusts, they look to see if the person had the authority, not only to create it, but to fund it, and then, of course, they're looking at the structured settlement to and the structured settlement papers, including the court order, to make sure that those periodic payments are revocably paid into the trust. Well, you know, you talked about teamwork, and, and obviously what we're talking about now is that team effort. One of the things I noticed about uh, one of the special needs trusts that you and I were involved with, with was that you actually sent the documents to the Social Security Administration for their for their approval prior to actually setting it up so so that you almost have this pre-approval so you don't have to worry about some of these issues on the backside. That's fairly unique. I, I don't know a lot of other folks that do that like you, uh, you've you done it. Is that, it's the only way I do it. Yeah. Uh, virtually every state out there will give you pre-approval on the trust. Virtually every jurisdiction will give you pre-approval. Uh, I believe in safety. Uh, to discuss the provisions going into the trust and um, get a letter, assuming the jurisdiction would do it, which most of them do, saying that we reviewed the trust and it's fine. It will not be a bar to eligibility. If it goes to court, the letter goes to court. It yeah. makes the judge feel better. It makes the plaintiff lawyer look good because a plaintiff lawyer did his or her homework to say, I put together a plan that works. You always put, I must say, I was on a case uh, with you and you had made a recommendation and I made that recommendation in court and the judge said, well, where did you get that idea from? <laughs> and I said, uh, Jay Sanger. And she goes, oh, well, why didn't you tell me that to begin with? <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Anyway, where is the seed? Now, I'll tell you, Mella and I are on a case in, uh, I won't say what state. It was an S&T case. And as Mella and I, together with a plaintiff lawyer, analyzed the case, uh -huh. analyzed that the lawyer wanted to give the parents a derivative claim that would take the child off of Medicaid for the next number of years, that a supplemental needs trust, special needs trust in that case, was not appropriate. So the documents are done in a way that, hey, it's, it's a trust that's not a Medicaid trust, but it has a provision in that if there's a reason to change it to a Medicaid trust in 10 or 15 or 20 years, which may happen, we can do that. Good. And it was fun working on it. 
It, it is. A um, couple of questions. The seed money, what is that used for? And also, can you tell me age? What does the age have to do with the special needs trust? Is there an age where it can start, end? Okay. The special needs trust can be lifetime. Uh, there are those special needs trusts that I'll terminate while the person's alive, while the beneficiary's alive, pay back Medicaid or negotiate with Medicaid what they get back because there's more money that came in. There's no need to keep the trust going. And we don't want, we meaning the family, doesn't want to be involved with Medicaid anymore. And once, Larry used the word before, freedom. I've done it. I want to get out of it. I don't need it anymore. Circumstances changed or vice versa. At what age does a special needs trust begin? At the time of the creation of the trust, which could be somebody one year old or somebody 64.9 years old, so long as it's funded prior to age 65. How long can it continue for lifetime? The answer is yes. Under the statute, it does continue for lifetime. There are those that fought annuities, saying that an annuity either cannot be paid to a special needs trust because it counts as income. Social Security Administration finally, due to Ringler, due to NASTA, has come out with POMS now, for Procedural Operating Manual provision. That says as long as the annuity is paid irrevocably to the trust, it's fine. Right. And that trust now can continue with the annuity for the lifetime of the individual post age 65. There are those who argue that you can't put even an annuity in after age 65. It's clarified now. Sometimes it's self to fight the battles. But right. we like to think it's clarified. But in addition to the annuity flowing into the trust or cash flowing into the trust, uh, as Mella mentioned, there's seed money that, that goes in early. That's correct. What, what, what are some of those uses and needs for that seed money? What's the requirement there? and Why, why, why does seed money make, okay. make a difference? There's no such thing as requirement. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the rules of the jurisdiction and the rules of the court. Uh, i give you the example. New York City says if there's more than $200,000 in the trust, cash in the trust. We want a professional trustee, a bank, an accountant, a lawyer. Mom and dad say, I want to be my child's trustee. I'm mom. I'm dad. Hey, fund the annuity greater. So there's less than 200000 in the trust. New York City says uh, if there's more than 100000 they need to be bonded. Many parents can't get bonded. Many people can't put more into the annuity. You have to, again, design what the purposes are. If the intent is to buy a house, then how are they going to buy the house? Are they going to buy it with cash? Are they going to buy it with a mortgage? You have to put together the plan to understand. And I think this is probably part of the hardest part when you sit. Mm -hmm. uh, Many people may think there's a lot of boilerplate here, whether on the annuity side or the attorney side. I use the word fun, but it is. It's mentally stimulating to design a life plan. The attorneys hire somebody to do a life care plan for litigation. What we are doing, what your planners are doing as structured settlement planners, consultants, together with the attorneys, is creating a future plan. There is no rule of the road um, to 
do lump sums for a child who is significantly disabled and to create a college fund doesn't make sense. But not to create a college fund for somebody who is physically disabled also doesn't make sense in the annuity. So it's really, and working with people like Mella, uh, you bounce these ideas out. And then you lay out the various proposals. Right. And it's all about the team concept again. So now you have this seed money flowing into the trust and you have an annuity flowing into the trust. Correct. In our example here. And now the uh, the claimant dies prematurely. He dies. And now we've got uh, funds that are sitting in that trust coming further in an annuity potentially with a guarantee period in there and some seed money that hasn't been spent. You mentioned that Medicaid has a lien uh, against those funds based on what they've paid in the past, especially to do with this particular incident or this particular injury. What, what's your experience about Medicaid flow, you know, flowing in there and trying to grab the uh, the funds that are sitting there to, to pay off those liens? Do they ever do they ever not do that? Is that or is that boilerplate for them? I've never seen them not do it. Uh, some jurisdictions might negotiate the amount. Others say, "Hey." That money was intended for the beneficiary. The beneficiary died. We want our piece back for what we paid. But the issue I thought you were getting to is against what do they collect? Do they collect against the funds in the trust? Or do they collect against the funds in the trust plus the present value of the annuity of the future mm-hmm. payments from the annuity. And that's a jurisdictional, jurisdictional issue. Some states say that the annuity must be commuted upon the death of the individual to present value, paid out in one lump sum, paid to the trust, and then Medicaid can collect against the trust. Other jurisdictions say, no, we're not going to go after the structured settlement. It's part of our remainder interest. It's only what is in the trust. And that's why our documents cannot be boilerplate. Neither the plaintiff lawyer's documents, the attorney that drafts special needs trust, or the structure broker's documents. They have to be drafted for the rules and regulations of that particular jurisdiction. So let me be clear on that. In certain jurisdictions, are you saying that if there's a guarantee period in the annuity... And in the annuity is a beneficiary designation for the for the parents, let's say, of a child or for or for right. or spouses. Certain jurisdictions, those guaranteed future annuity payments may indeed flow to that to that family beneficiary and not get uh, set upon by Medicaid. In That's certain correct. jurisdictions, they would be uh, still able to reach into that Medicaid. Even right. within the state of New York, different counties do it different ways. Yeah. Um, I more and more are reaching into the structure of what I've seen and creating their rules, whether or not they're written rules or not. And they want to look at the um, at all the documents, all the settlement documents, the annuity documents, to see where it flows. And what I've seen is the structured documents could be done correctly and say it flows to the trust. But the settlement, the order drafted by the personal injury attorney says it goes to the estate. So what I see as my job is to review those documents 
um, to see that they flow in whatever way the jurisdiction wants it or requires mm-hmm. it to flow. And there's a consistency among the documents, though. There, there's no, there are no uh, conflicts. We hope so. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is I make sure that the broker, I always tell plaintiff lawyers, and they don't do it always, to give the document to your structure broker to make sure that that structure broker has reviewed all the documents that are going to court, if there's a court, or all your settlement documents that you're drafting to make sure that there's a consistency. Well, everything we're talking about so far indicates for sure that you need expertise when you're dealing with these issues. And, uh, you know, dealing with folks like yourself, Jay, is, uh, makes our jobs so much so much easier and protects everybody in the process, which is important for everyone. Well, let's take a quick break right now, and we'll be back in a minute with much more with attorney Jay Sangerman and my co-hosts, Mellow Lemon Jelly, when Ringler Radio returns after this. We'll be right back. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit ringlerassociates.com to learn more. You can listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose from almost 200 topics. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Think you might like to have us create your own podcast on LegalTalkNetwork.com? Go to the website and send us an email. Or just give us a call at 781-551-9960. It's the best move you'll make in legal marketing. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm here with attorney Jay Sangerman and my co-host and Ringler colleague, Mellow Lemon Jelly from New York City. Our topic, of course, is special needs trust and how structured settlements mesh with special needs trust. So, uh, Jay, in light of what's been happening recently in the public forum, congressional activity, we know in the Medicare side, there's a lot of activity trying to make sure that funds are coming in and, and funds are protected. There's no question we have budgetary issues. Do you, do you see something coming down the pike in the Medicaid area uh, where some of the rules around special needs trust, this, protecting, this protective process, is it changed in any way? And do you find there's going to be, or do you think there's changes on the horizon for the actual special needs trust and the structured settlement? 
I don't think there'd be any congressional change, although there is a bill that a congressman has drafted. Um, there is a bill he drafted about a year or so ago that I reviewed, and I don't think it's proceeding anywhere. So let's not talk about that. I think the changes are coming locally. Medicaid districts, because of your budget, are far more aggressive in how the funds in the trust are being utilized and making sure that they are used specifically for the beneficiary, that parents are not getting some benefit uh, that they should not be getting. There's always a pour over to parents. But aggressively, aggressively requiring annual accountings of how the funds are used, asking questions of how they're used, objecting that they overpaid for a television um, where the child didn't need such a large TV or the vacations. So it's really happening on a local level. I think that the other area is on the annuity side where more and more districts are looking to, of what I've seen at least, to collect against the structure settlement when the person dies. Now, this whole thing is still relatively new. Uh, S&T's law is 93, but beneficiaries are dying now. Uh, districts are learning what the remainder interest is, what they're getting back, what they're not getting back. And I've seen them becoming a lot more, boning up a lot more, a lot more staff, uh, sometimes much more difficult to deal with within the special needs, which is, again, the reason, even though I do a lot of special needs, about half of the time I, people don't do them after I talk to them and do a different kind of plan because they realize that maybe now is not the time to do it. Maybe to switch later, but that the life could be a lot better for the beneficiary of the trust, the child, the husband, the wife, the parent, whatever, under age 65. Well, you know, we, we know that Medicaid is a state-by-state state process, a state-by-state. State and county-by-county. county-by-county, and you've, you've laid that out, and, uh, and you've said many times in our discussion here that depending on the jurisdiction, uh, and you know states are, are, are undergoing tremendous budgetary uh, issues. California, for example, uh, is a big one. So I think we can all, even though... Life is pretty static right now. I think we can all point to one thing, that change is on the way, and, and to the extent that some of those rules you talked about might get tweaked a little bit. We all ought to be alert to that, and you're going to be the one that's going to be on top of that more than anybody. So folks like yourselves are the ones that we need to rely on to really help us in that. In that. And I think the more that we review those rules and try to abide by those rules, and on one hand protect Medicaid's interest, right. the more that Medicaid will not seek to change the statute or the rules. Exactly. Very good. Well, with that, I think we can close. Uh, Jay, if someone wanted to get in touch with you to learn more about Special Needs Trust or maybe to engage your services, how would they find you? My website is sangerman.com, S-A-N-G-E-R-M-A-N.com. Uh, my telephone number, all my contact information is right there. Great. And my email is jjsangerman at sangerman.com. 
the letter J, the letter J. That extra J threw me many, many, <laughs> many times. Many times <laughs> Larry, it was a way to stop spam okay, <laughs> by okay, adding yeah, another yeah. letter. Well, see, that, that's, that's even a better reason. And Mela, how would does someone get a hold of you? You can go on the Ringler website, and uh, I'm in the New York office, and my email, should I dare even spell it? Well, I tell you, <laughs> it's now or never. It's C Limongelli, L-I-M-O-N-G-E-L-L-I, at ringlerassociates.com. And then my phone number is there, which is much easier. Terrific. And you can reach any Ringler Associate on ringlerassociates.com. Uh, we've revamped our, our website. It's terrific. It's great. Uh, and I think you can get all kinds of information, especially about special needs trusts. And, uh, Jay, I think you'll uh, approve of what's on there for sure. And you have a brochure on that. We've got Definitely. brochures. Uh, and in today's marketplace of uh, communication, we can be... Uh, getting all of you information anytime you need it. Uh, and you want to listen to Ringler Radio shows, you go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com, and you can actually download this on your iPod, this show right here, Jay, and people can learn about special needs trust as they're sitting there uh, relaxing with a drink. Larry, my as, children's always, <laughs> as always, it's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Nice doing with Mella. Jay, absolutely pleasure having you here, Mella, as always. So all of you out there, Hope you've enjoyed what Jay Sagerman had to say. It's very informational, very informative. Uh, but for all of you now, go out and have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating its seventh year on Legal Talk Network with over a million listeners. Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. Today.